0: It's uh, Roxanne Durhard of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Today, I have a special guest, Christabel uh, Braden. Hi, Christabel. How are you?
1: Hi, I'm doing well. How are you doing?
0: Good. Thank you. So Christabel's got a a fascinating background and something that's quite intriguing. Um, I can tell you a little bit about her and um, what she brings to the table out there is how when you go through something adverse, like a brain injury, how in fact it ends up being, turning into something that is a gift. Not that I'm saying people don't have struggles, but her story is one of uh, that I think will be fascinating. So she is an award-winning speaker, author, and a pod- podcast host. Um, she had an injury and then all, she had some talents prior to that. She was always musical, but after the injury, she started to write music. And um, she has been an advocate around issues around brain injury. She talks about um, some of the myths and misconceptions of brain injury um, and speaks uh, throughout the U.S. uh, from what she's telling me around that concerns and she's going to share today a little bit about what are some of the things people should know because I think you know not knowing a lot uh, Christabel a lot of people think they understand and I think hearing your story is going to be something that will be valuable to to people out there that are listening so thanks again for coming on.
1: Yeah absolutely thank you for having me.
0: Okay so Tell us, tell us the story to so tell me, tell us a little bit about you before the accident. And uh, tell us kind of uh, the accident occurred in 2007, but she's had multiple accidents. Tell, tell us a bit about you. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about yeah. the accident.
1: So I was pretty young when it happened. I was in school. And before the brain injury happened, I was very, very academically minded. I was also very athletic. And I was 14 when it happened and I was in 10th grade because I was put ahead in school. So I was actually in a program for gifted kids and school came easy to me before. And I played on multiple sports teams and I did dance classes multiple nights a week. And I was really good at memorization. That was a big strength of mine. I loved to act and I loved Shakespeare Mm. specifically. And the summer before it happened, I interned at the Shakespeare Festival in the local where I lived. And I wanted to, you know, do acting, not necessarily as a career, but I wasn't sure yet at the time what I really wanted to do. I was thinking about going into law, being an attorney. And I just, I really wanted to go to Yale and I had this big dreams, academic dreams for myself, and I had the plan to get there, and then one day changed my life forever. It was December 2nd, 2007. I went to my church's youth group, which you know, I went almost every Sunday, and that night they were playing a game with all the kids in one of the rooms, a game called Red Rover, which is a running game, and when it was my turn to run, all the boys on my team decided to pull a prank and run behind me and rush the other team. And I ended up hit my, hit my head on a c- cement wall mm-hmm. and my head bounced off the floor and I lost consciousness. We're not sure how long, we think it was a couple minutes. It was enough time for the kids to be laughing and then stop laughing and then go get the adults, which that's a whole nother story in itself, <laughs> but yeah. Sure. Um, I came to, and I seemed totally normal that night. And I think a really big misconception with concussions and brain injuries is that symptoms show up right away. That's not always the case. In my case, my brain was actually swelling. Mm. And so over the next couple of days, my brain swelled and swelled and swelled to the point where it got too swollen to fit in my skull. So the way the neurologist explained it to me was like the inside of my brain sliced my skull, the inside of my skull sliced my brain. And I couldn't walk straight. I had blurry vision. I couldn't hold conversations. I was functioning like a small child. I had to relearn how to get dressed, how to take a shower. My short-term memory was so bad that I would forget I ate breakfast. I'd eat multiple breakfasts in one morning because I would forget. And my body's was completely off. I never knew when I was hungry or full. I lost sense of taste and smell. My personality changed. My sense of humor changed. I lost a lot of long-term memories from my childhood. And I, the right side of my body, the muscles at- atrophied, which means they got smaller mm-hmm. and weaker. And so it was like, you know, you go from one day, your life is just how you think it's going to go. You have a schedule, you're doing your thing. And then one moment and your life is completely different. And that's what happens with a traumatic brain injury. But one of the biggest issues and misconceptions is you look fine. You look fine. You look normal on the outside the whole time. And so there's a lot of misunderstandings because when you see someone who has a traumatic brain injury you can't tell and mm-hmm. when you start to interact with them you can tell something's off maybe but you can't figure out exactly why i could still talk my speech was a lot more slurred i spoke slower after about 15 minutes is when i just couldn't function anymore so like i could hold a short conversation one on one if there was anything distractions or anything else going on in the room, I would, I couldn't function. I would have tamper tantrums. I would freak out. I literally, I don't even remember the first year after the brain injury and I literally had to relearn all these life tasks that were once simple and that began the journey of living with brain injury. And I'm here 12 years later, still struggling. I mean, it's gotten a lot better and the doctors didn't even think I'd finish high school after it happened. Like they thought that I was going to be at that level for the rest of my life. And I know by the grace of God, I have come a lot farther than any doctors had ever imagined. I still, I'm not allowed to have a driver's license. There are certain things that I really struggle with and a lot of the re injuries having re concussions has contributed to my long struggle your brain is more sensitive once it's been hurt it's like if you've ever had a knee injury or a mm-hmm. wrist injury any type of injury it's a lot more easy to aggravate it if you like step wrong or you know you it's just something like we all deal with but you don't really think about that in the brain but it's the same way so yeah. If you've had a significant brain injury, or even if you've had any sort of concussion, your my, my doctor told me even a couple of weeks ago when I went to see her before all the quarantine stuff, um, she was like, Christopher, I think your brain is just very more sensitive to trauma than most mm. because of the amount of injuries you've had. And so it's a very, very long recovery, but I always tell people there's hope there is still hope. The brain has neuroplasticity. There's so many things that can help it, but it's definitely a journey.
0: Sorry if I was jumping around a little bit No, that's fine. That's fine. So you talk a little bit, a lot about misconceptions. So we talked Mm -hmm. a little bit about, you look the same, but things are different. What other misconceptions do people have about brain injury? Because I know you talk about this. um, Yeah, Yeah. So some other misconceptions,
1: there's a couple different there's a couple of different things. First of all, people think a concussion is not a brain injury or they think a concussion is not serious. And what you don't understand is the term concussion is literally just a different way to say traumatic brain injury. It means the same thing and people use the term concussion and it gets downplayed. I've even talked to other brain injury survivors who they've gone to the ER. They said, Oh, you have a concussion, go home and rest, but they didn't know what concussion meant. Right. So people would walk out of the ER thinking, Oh, I'll be fine in a couple of days, or I'll be Mm -hmm. fine in a couple of weeks. And they don't realize that unless you treat it and you really take it seriously, Mm -hmm. you can have lifelong effects from a concussion. There's no such thing as having just a concussion. And thankfully, in the last decade, there's been a lot more awareness on brain injury. There's a movie called Concussion starring Will Smith. That's a true story of the doctor who discovered CTE and football players.
0: I actually saw that. And yeah. now that you're bringing it, I was an amazing story. It was unbelievable, actually. It's great.
1: It's been yeah. so great to bring more awareness to brain injuries, mm. although that's, been, that's more focused on CTE and football. But the concussion affects the way that that movie shows the anger and the struggles that these players would have. That's, I mean, you, you, you don't realize when you have, your brain is connected to everything. There are nerve, neuropathways pathways and nerve endings. Your neurological system goes through your entire body. So people who have things like MS and different neurological conditions, it's, it stems from your, your brain and your, you know, I'm not a doctor. I don't know all the details, but I know that if your brain is affected, it's more like your whole body's affected, Mm -hmm, everything. And especially depending on what area of the brain gets injured, you can have a lot of struggle. I had frontal lobe damage, actually a damage to almost every lobe of my brain injury. The frontal lobe was one of the main ones. Um, Oh gosh, I'm not remembering. The doctor I saw last year was explaining to me the different lobes of the brain that were affected. I can't remember exactly, but the frontal lobe does
0: executive uh, functioning of, of, of yes.
1: reasoning yes. and emotion. La- yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely a struggle and yeah, I think, so you asked about misconceptions. Another misconception is the types of brain injuries. So a stroke mm-hmm. is brain injury, a brain tumor, a brain surgery causes brain injury. Mm-hmm. And often will have similar symptoms. Brain cancer has similar symptoms, traumatic brain injuries, concussion. There's open head injuries, closed head injuries, and no one is more serious than the other. I, or No, I shouldn't say that that way. Let me just rephrase that. Um, there are different, of course, some injuries are more serious than the other. But what I'm trying to explain is a closed head injury where the skull doesn't break can actually be more serious than an open head injury. And mm-hmm. people think that if your skull breaks, that that's more serious. Mm-hmm. And it it depends on the person because every brain injury is different. Often closed head injuries like the kind that I had, it would have been better had my skull broken because the pressure would have been relieved.
0: Because they would have had to relieve the pressure. Well, if it... the
1: skull broke, it would have naturally been relieved because the skull, right. like the... it when the skull remains intact, often concussions end up with longer and worse symptoms simply because the pressure swelling. Mm-hmm. And of course, when I say I'm, I'm, I'm not meaning to make broad generalizations, understand that every single, this is another misconception, but every single brain injury is different. They say, if you've seen one brain injury, you've seen <laughs> one brain injury.
0: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's that unique. Now, how did uh, your family cope with this? I mean, you're young at this point. Um, you obviously you were struggling. You were you were not well. How how did they support you to get through this?
1: So I needed twenty four seven care for a long time, and my mother cared for me twenty four seven, like to the point of needing help in the bathroom. Oh my That's goodness! That's the level of care that I needed help with because I simply couldn't remember how to do things. And I did have muscle spasms and right-sided weakness, but it wasn't so much that I couldn't physically remember how to get dressed. It was that I couldn't executively process the steps that it took for me to get dressed. So I put my socks on over my shoes. Just so you, you didn't
0: remember the sequence of what exactly because of the executive functioning of kind of like yeah. if I said to you go brush your teeth, you probably wouldn't remember the logical. I didn't steps. remember to put toothpaste on my toothbrush. You'd I be would like oh yeah, put, put brush water my teeth. on it
1: and brush my teeth and forget right. the toothpaste part. And one of the things that the occupational therapists work with me on was I had a binder with a checklist. I literally had checklists for everything. I had my morning routine checklist and it was down to pick up your toothbrush, put toothpaste on it, run it under water. you know, brush your bottom teeth, brush your top teeth, rinse it off, like down to that level, because I literally, it wouldn't occur to me to do these simple things like to rinse off my toothbrush after I was done. You know, mm-hmm. these, these things that seem like simple daily life tasks became a huge challenge and became a huge struggle. And for many people with brain injuries, they don't understand and they're in denial and they can't physically comprehend what's happening. So they don't know what they're struggling with. And if it wasn't for my my mom and my dad, and my family, th- my mom was able to observe these things. And my mom was a kindergarten teacher for 20 years. Mm-hmm. And so she knew how to help children,
0: learn things.
1: So it was basically like, she was
0: reteaching me, reteaching you from like, from like the beginning. So the patience it must've taken. Yes. uh, And it was
1: like, I'd hold, I'd hold her hand and I'd tug on her shirt and I'd sit on her lap. And I was like, you know, 15. Right. And I had two younger sisters. Um, I have two younger sisters. One of them's four years younger than me. The other one's 10 years younger than me. And Mm. the baby was four when it happened. Oh my goodness she and I became kind of on the same level for a while. Mm. So we'd watch Sesame street together, both mm. be entertained. She, she would teach me how to color in the lines, play mm. shoots and ladders. Like my mom jokes, it was like I had a built in occupational therapist because my little <laughs> sister would just teach me how to play stuff.
0: And it was, she like was probably she, excited. She had a, a buddy to, <laughs> Yeah, and it was like,
1: she was almost big sistering me and right. think about that. Yeah. So it, definitely affects the entire family. I was, I'm very, very blessed and fortunate Mm. that, you know, my, my mom was able to care for me. Of course, we took a huge financial hit as a family. Um, my parents did and they spent all their savings on my medical bills, Mm. all of them. (laughs) So, you know, it's something that's been a lot and also my mom not working. So, of course. So,
0: so how, what a, what a, um, an act of love in in caring yeah. for you to get you and back. They
1: still, we're you know, we're still, they're still, you know, struggling with that. Like they don't have retirement, anything. They spend mm-hmm. it all on the medical stuff, and they've. But my mom says, "But you're here. Like mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. you're you're doing better." And that's what we want. We care about our daughter more than we care about anything else. And so I'm very fortunate. Not everybody has a family that comes around them and the divorce rate after brain injury is sadly so huge because people, they don't, the brain injured person can't comprehend what's happening to them. And often the partner will not understand what's going on with them. They just know they're acting crazy
0: Mm -hmm. and they'll fight
1: and they don't, no and, and i've unfortunately in my brain injury support groups that i've been going to uh, a a large number of them were lost like one of him, he, while he was in the hospital and struggling and he came back home or whatever, like his wife left him and took the kids. Mm-hmm. And like, he's been rebuilding relationships with his kids now that he's been out of rehab. Um, when I say rehab, I mean, brain injury rehab, not drug rehab. <laughs> I mean, so he had to relearn how to walk. Right. So. Of course.
0: So of course it's going to devastate a lot of things like it. So yeah. it's a, it's really, it's in a way it's like a rebirth while you rebuild.
1: Yeah and honestly like everybody's journey is different but I have to say like creativity ha- was a huge part of my healing process so I started to write music after So
0: tell and I mean that's the fascinating part that's the fascination with the brain right as a psychotherapist yeah. <laughs> I often say you know it is so powerful so you know from you know not remembering that your you know your socks go on before your shoes mm-hmm. just, to now you've unlocked this mystery yeah. of writing music. So let's let's talk a bit about that because that's that shows you how, how little we know. About, we know so much mm-hmm. with neuroscience, but how truly little we really know. Yeah. Um, so talk a little bit about how did you discover that, first of all? You went so, through a while of recovery and then at some point... It was actually pretty... It was within
1: the first six weeks. It was within the first month of the brain injury. I started to come up with songs and the doctor thinks that I had savant syndrome, which is when you hit your head and then you get really good at a certain skill. It's something with the electrical balance in your brain, the way they describe it. But basically, like I lost common sense. So like, I wouldn't remember to look for cars before I crossed the street. I'd struggle with all these things, but, and I couldn't hold... I was speaking two or three word sentences. I lost my vocabulary. I couldn't really hold conversations very well, but I started to write songs and I had taken piano lessons as a kid, but I quit before I was 10 because I just was like not interested in practicing. I never played any other instruments. Well, no, I played saxophone in band as a kid, but I didn't play like guitar until after the brain injury. Um, And we had a piano at home and I sat down at the piano and I started just playing and writing songs and I brought my parents this piece of paper that had these lyrics written on it in really bad handwriting because I'm right-handed my right side was the side that was atrophied so my handwriting got really awful and I couldn't read back to them what I'd written I just handed them this piece of paper and they were like what's this and it was lyrics that rhymed and made sense. And to them, my conversations were not making sense. And I was repeating myself over and over. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And they were like, these are deep lyrics that rhyme and make sense. What is going on? And they went to the doctor. The doctor said music affects the brain differently. Mm. So to just kind of go with it, we didn't really know what was happening at the time. So my parents were just, um, my parents were just decided to support that because that seemed to be an area where I was excelling in every other area I was struggling and declining. Mm-hmm. So I, I started writing hundreds within the first year, I wrote hundreds of songs and my dad bought me my first guitar off the internet. He just ordered me a guitar. Cause, uh, so I could learn. And the second day I had it, I started writing songs on it and music just became this outlet and something that I helped me get through my recovery and helped me to express my emotions and feelings. What I couldn't speak, I could sing. And I had a voice teacher that worked with a speech therapist and the voice teacher was able to recognize I, my right side. So my right side of my soft palate, the right side of my um, my voice was affected. Half of my face was affected and she was able to work on my singing and my singing helped me to not slur my speech as much and so the singing helped my speech and everything and it just was a huge huge thing of course i never expected to like make a cd or be an artist but so tell people about that because
0: not only did you this mystery of the brain you so you start to write hundreds of songs and then you have recently you've been touring but of course because with what's happened with COVID uh Christabel's uh, concerts have been cancelled obviously with all the in-person events but uh and you just recently released a CD. I did yeah in
1: March March 20th I released a new album called Declaration it's on all streaming services like Spotify Apple Music everything like that if anyone wants to listen but I have a couple albums out now But it started after my brain injury. So I was just writing so many songs and I wanted to sing them. And the first ever performance I had was like at a local Christian bookstore. I was like the opener of the opener for this, you know, local singer songwriter. And I sang a couple songs and he, the guy who was the main guy, had been doing it for a long time. He was pretty well known in the area. and he saw something in me and he talked to my parents and asked if I could come and open for him at all his shows. So I went from never performing to having a pretty full schedule because of this man and his, you know, he was around the same age as my parents. He was just very kind and um, he he was a little older than my parents. Um, And he just saw something in, in Mm -hmm. me and wanted to give me opportunities and I'll be forever grateful for him that's amazing and so the next year and a half almost every weekend i was singing with him and that's how it began and then i started to be asked to sing do my own concerts mm-hmm. at, at churches and a lot of this was at churches and people asked me to share my story and sing some of my songs that were written about having a brain injury and people started asking me for a cd and i was like why would i make a cd like <laughs> i was still in rehab therapy i was still mixing up my clothes when I was getting dressed. I didn't I never had this vision of being a, a touring artist. And it just spread by word of mouth. And honestly, Roxanne, like I I have no other explanation for it besides just the Lord opened these doors. And it was I never sought out events for the mm. first five years of performing. People just would email me mm. and hear about me and it just got spread and spread. And if it wasn't for that, I never would have pursued it because it it just wasn't on my list of priorities but when people would ask me to do it i was like oh sure so that's how it grew i studied music in college and
0: so you I, went on to you went on to college I did just-
1: i did yes it <laughs> i had a lot of accommodations took a lot of extra you know struggle but i did make it through and i i learned more about music and i started touring after college and sharing my story. I do a lot of concerts at brain injury centers and rehab centers, um, homeless shelters, prison ministries. It's just really big on my heart to connect with people that are going through hard times and bring hope. Really- so, so let's
0: talk about that because that's, this is a one of a kind story. I'm sure you've heard that as, as you've spoken on stages and, you know, sharing it. it's, 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 it, it's one of those miracles, right? That something like this happens and all of this gets such a profound gift comes from it. There must've been, did you have struggles? Like what kind of struggles emotionally, mentally did you have? Because I'm sure everybody's thing that will be listening will be thinking, how did you get through this?
1: Yeah. It's a lot, a lot of struggles. So when I share my story like that, you have to understand that's, 10 years of a story.
0: Right. <laughs> my
1: first my first concert when I told you about playing at that little show was 2009.
0: Wow. Um
1: and so I'm here in 2020.
0: So right. you have to
1: realize it didn't mm. just go like that. It wasn't just right. oh, I'm I'm singing at a couple local places to touring nationally. That's a 10-year journey. Right. So but I will say that um probably some of my biggest struggles were more, more so besides all the physical struggles. So symptoms, headaches, overstimulation, overwhelm, light sensitivity, um, pain, just pain, chronic pain, pain in my back, pain in my head. I had whiplash in my neck, just all sorts of chronic pain. Um, struggling with I have dysautonomia, which is dysfunction of your autonomic nervous system. And I didn't even discover that I had it until last year. And what
0: does, so if it's, so the autonomic nervous system takes care of things that you don't think about. Yes. And so
1: most brain injury survivors actually have this, and it's not often talked about. Like I said, I didn't discover until last year, so basically it's like your body's constantly stuck in fight or flight response Mm. and you can't turn it off. And so you're in the,
0: you're in the, the sympathetic nervous system and you're, you're constantly on where you're protecting against
1: struggle. And I I've had therapy for that in the last year, which has helped, but I was having heart rate things. Like I'd, Mm. I'd sit up and I'd feel so lightheaded, like I was going to pass out or I'd go up the stairs Mm. and I always, felt like my heart was racing and I just thought I was out of shape. Like I didn't know no matter how much I had exercised, it would just feel worse. Mm. And so I didn't know I had to see a cardiologist mm. and they did a halter monitor. They did all these tests. You know, it's it's crazy. The brain injury affects everything. I was having knee injuries. My brain didn't connect to the right side of my body, right? And last year, I saw a functional neurologist in Minnesota at the Functional Neurology Center. I actually flew out there for a week. Um, Dr. Jeremy Schmoe changed my life. And in one week, he reconnected my brain to the right side of my body. I actually have a video. I had my right knee reflex was barely there. Like they'd, they'd hit it, no reflex. It'd take like 10 times of hitting it to even get a little bit of something. After one week of doing nerve simulation and neurological therapies, my knee reflex came back. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's a big sign of dysautonomia is not having reflexes. Mm, So it's like your reflexes and the things that you don't think about your heart rate, regulation of that Mm -hmm. regulation of your fight or flight response, stuff that your body's supposed to do automatically. It's like your brain is doing, instead of subconsciously doing consciously. So it sucks mm-hmm. out all your energy because your brain is, it's like your brain's on overdrive. Like your, your computer is too many tabs open.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then eventually it's going to be overloaded.
1: Yeah. Uh, and because- so that's a very basic way to understand it. But, you know, I struggled with that for so many years and not until that therapy in 2019, for the first time ever, I can walk without looking at my feet.
0: Because you'd That's always think you're, injury. Cause you'd think you're going to fall
1: mm-hmm. and vestibular <laughs> system issues. And mm-hmm. a lot of this is stuff. I didn't even realize vision issues, eye tracking issues,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, constant struggles, like things that, that, that it just literally, it just literally affected everything. And so it's, and it's a long journey of even uncovering and understanding it and only What I always say, it's like the recovery is like you put out the biggest fire, right? Mm -hmm. So at first, it was like, can she get dressed? Can she function? Can she, Mm -hmm. you know, get through the day, you know? And so you work on all these tasks. And then once you kind of figure out that, only in the last couple of years have I been, wait a minute, my vision isn't right. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, well,
1: let's figure this out. Okay. To, oh, okay, my heart rate is really off because I've been, now that I got, a little bit better. I was trying to exercise and I couldn't, and I was struggling. Mm-hmm. I couldn't function, and so I discovered the heart rate. So I went to the cardiologist. It's like you're constantly uncovering different
0: things. You go from one step to another to yeah. another as you kind of okay. You take care of the big you know mm-hmm. things, and then you slowly go back to the small. Yeah. Oh, this is still bothering me. But you me realize
1: now. the small things are big things. Yeah, like yeah. With not having a right knee reflex, I actually had a right knee sprain. I had a knee sprain and knee injury. Apparently. Um, And the doctor, doctor that I told you about the functional neurologist, he explained to me how knee injuries and concussions are extremely interrelated because Mm. of your brain and the way your vestibular system and the way it connects to your body. And so it's just really interesting. But so like all these physical struggles that I still have been uncovering and dealing with, of course, the migraines, trying to find the right migraine medications, trying to figure out the right supplements, the things that will work, the things that don't work. Um, I had a migraine medication that caused me to, all my hair to fall out, like, not wow. all I say, but like over 50% of hair loss. At 21,
0: like, yes, you, your like hair a, should
1: not be falling out like
0: that. No, no. So, so. S- with all those struggles, psychologically, mm-hmm. how did you keep it together and emotionally? Because yeah. I think that's the part that I listen, and these, you know, you hear people when they struggle physically, and, and they're, they're talking about not even a 16th of what you're struggling with and we know how much pain affects things
1: mm-hmm.
0: how did you what kind of things did you do psychologically and emotionally to yeah. to to kind of keep putting quite so, literally one foot in front of the other
1: so the physical struggles i just described and that didn't even scratch the surface of everything but keeping it together um i would say i didn't necessarily um the first 5 years were very dark and very, very, very challenging. And if it wasn't for my mom, I would have just complete. I wouldn't be, I would not be who I am. I would not be functioning where I am. My mom is a very compassionate, kind hearted. She's a woman of faith. She is just very, um, she, I would say my rock, you know, like she holds our family together and she helped me through, processing through a lot Mm. of this stuff. And um, so that and um, seeing, you know, neuropsychologists helped Mm. as well. Um, I would say that though my relationship with my mom was a lot more beneficial just because she's my, you know, I see her all the time.
0: So she really provided a foundation of support that's like helped you through so many things.
1: And, and I have a couple other Um, small things, um, brain injury support groups, huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. When I first started to realize I wasn't alone, everything Mm -hmm. shifted. And I started to, instead of thinking that there was something wrong with me and that I was broken, because when you think you're broken, like it, Mm -hmm. I I felt hopeless. I felt afraid. I felt scared. I felt like my life was never going to be the same. And I lost all my hope. And I, it took a long time for me to not be ashamed of having the brain injury. Cause I got bullied in school after it happened. Like the kids were just really mean and really awful. And I felt like I was defective and like this injury made me less of a person. And it took realizing that it's an injury that can happen to anyone. It doesn't take away from my worth mm-hmm. and I'm still... Valuable, even with a brain injury, and my faith played a huge, huge role in that understanding that God still had a plan for my life, and He was going to work it out through this. And digging into my faith, writing music, I, I always suggest to brain injury survivors. I run Hope After Head Injury, HopeAfterHeadInjury.com. It's I have a brain injury support group online. Every Tuesday night, I do a live video for brain injury support and. I travel and speak to brain injury survivors, and I always encourage creativity and expressing of emotions because otherwise you're just going to bottle everything up and you need some outlet to help you get through it. But being connected with others, other survivors, um, when I met other teenagers that were going through what I went through, that changed everything. I went to a camp called Camp Cranium for kids with brain injuries, and I volunteer there now. And... I met other kids that had brain injuries. And that was the first time I realized like there are other people like me. So that was huge in the recovery and really just making a choice to Mm -hmm. say, I'm going to get up today and I'm going to giving yourself grace, giving yourself permission to struggle and realizing that life is hard and every day you might have really bad pain but I can choose to have hope and I can choose to have faith and I can choose to keep going and realizing that when I realized that hope is not a feeling, that hope is a choice that changed Mm -hmm. everything.
0: So for, let's say people listening, family members or employers or managers, right? Mm -hmm. That when people are going back, you know, to functioning at a certain level at work, how could they support either family members or partners What kind of things would you suggest to to help?
1: So family and work situations are quite different, but in a family situation, education, like when family members take the time to learn about brain injury and they realize when this person snaps at me, they're not mad at me. Their brain just isn't right. Like, or their brain is overwhelmed. Like once Mm -hmm. my mom was able to recognize like, oh, Christabel hasn't drank enough water today. She has a bad headache. That's why she's being rude. I'm not being rude because I'm trying to be rude. I'm being rude because my brain just can't process things. And I'm being insensitive simply because I'm not processing. So it comes across as selfish Mm -hmm. and I'm not meaning to be selfish. It's not my heart. I I have a very loving and compassionate heart. And I always did before my brain injury, but there were many years that I had no self-awareness and Mm -hmm. I was extremely rude to my family without meaning to be. And Mm -hmm. You know, my mom did a lot of research and she was realizing, oh, when her brain is exhausted and observation too, when her brain's exhausted or she wakes up with a headache, she's going to be like, she might be rude and realizing not to take it personally. So I think that's a big thing for family and friends is if somebody, if they forget something, they don't text you back or whatever. Not to take it personally, but to treat the person with compassion. You might have to repeat yourself to them a lot, but educating yourself on brain injury. There are brain injury conferences all over, attending those with the person. When family and friends come with them to understand more and go to a support group with them, learn more about brain injury. Because when you meet other people with brain injuries, you can learn more to help the person that you love. Now, when it comes to employers, And um, going back to work, first of all, brain injury is a disability, Uh, accommodations are Mm -hmm. okay. Like I have, I talked to somebody who had a brain injury that she has light sensitivity and at her job, they turned off the two fluorescent lights above her desk, Mm -hmm. changed everything for her just because the employer recognize she can do her job. She just needs a little bit of help. They got her two monitors instead of one. So she could Mm. have everything bigger on her desk. And so finding the things that works for that person and being accommodating with that will help them go a long way. And, and also just having compassion and realizing that when, when somebody's struggling, they're not blaming it on their brain injury. It actually, your brain injury affects everything. And Mm -hmm. so to understand that, Hey, this, this person, they're not making excuses. (laughs) Like this is real. Even Mm -hmm. if you can't see it, if you look fine, like I can look fine, especially if I take time to put on makeup (laughs) or curl my hair,
0: (laughs) right. You cannot
1: tell the amount of pain that I'm in on the inside. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: Mm -hmm. that goes for emotional, that goes for everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. But when we're specifically talking about brain injury, the physical pain and struggles, be hidden quite Mm -hmm. easily and having that level of understanding that what you see is not what you get always can be very very helpful when it comes to a work situation and and every situation just
0: understanding communication understanding Mm -hmm. the needs of an accommodation obviously Um, but i think uh, to your point like talking to the individual like you said right like as it is you, you there may be the struggle that think that's something i'm broken because something's wrong with me but really yeah. it's an injury so to reintegrate that person back just to ask to figure out what do you need how how do you want me to manage you you know yeah. what are you are there some skills obviously that would be identified in the accommodation absolutely that's practical and um yeah. those types of things but i think on a on a human level to understand how that person wants to be treated because I'm going to assume at some point you just want to be treated like everybody else Mm
1: -hmm. and to be able to not, you know, fine line. Like, yes, I want to be treated like everyone else, but in some respects, I don't, because I want you to understand that I have a brain injury. Mm -hmm. And so when I was in college, you know, I, I had accommodations. I had to take extra time on my tests. My professors would give me extra time on assignments because I had, I had the medical documentation for that. And If I was expected to, you know, take my tests in the room with everyone where I was going to be distracted and in the same amount of time as everyone, when my brain physically processed this slower, that wouldn't have been fair. And it would have made me feel worse and more discouraged. So like, yes, I want to be treated like everyone else in the sense of, I don't want you to think I have less value of as being a human. Like I am, I'm still a human being with value, Mm
0: -hmm. but
1: I might need a little extra help so there's that line between compassion and understanding like hey i i want to help this person they might need more than somebody else mm-hmm. but then also realizing every human is equal we all you know mm-hmm. we all have value no matter who we are no matter where we come from no matter what we look like no matter what we do every person on this planet has value and realizing Disability or not, this person has value.
0: Absolutely, and that's definitely something um, you know that anyone we come into the world that way. We all have that our experiences, whatever it is. But in your situation, I think sharing like you do, because uh, I believe when we talked, you were heading to Washington, weren't you? To
1: I was yes. Yes, I went to brain injury. So I I do advocacy work with the Brain Injury Association of America. So I represented my state, Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania, and we met with members of Congress and talking about legislation for brain injury. Um, And
0: And how how did that go?
1: It went well. This was my fourth year going there. Awesome. Awesome.
0: Yeah. So tell everybody a bit about your podcast. Tell them about your book. And I want you to tell them again uh, just about, um, you know, if they ever wanted – you're, you're truly an inspiration in what you are sharing just about the Thank change you. that you're impacting in the world. Um, you know, I've learned so much today, you know, I'm a mom to someone that played hockey and I, I really think of how much of the minimizing happens in, in yeah. sports. Yeah, and it, um, it really, it really kind of showed me today how we really have to protect, um, you know, our brain, uh, you know, as much as possible. So this education that you're doing, I think is, is um, so, so vital. But uh, tell them about the podcast. Tell them about the yeah, book, and absolutely. you know those types of things. And if people are ever wanting to connect with you, um, once the speaking gets going again, or whether you're going to be doing speak virtual speaking events, I would like people to know where they can get a hold of you.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. So first, I want to say, I remember what it's like to feel hopeless, and I don't want anyone else to feel that way. So I started Hope After Head Injury. If you're a survivor, if you're listening, if you've had a brain injury, a concussion, a stroke a brain tumor, any type, brain aneurysm, any type of brain injury, you're welcome to join my online support group, hopeafterheadinjury.com, Facebook, Hope After Injury, would love to have you there. And also I encourage everyone to join your local brain injury support group. And if you need help finding it, that's one of the things I do. So if you join my online group and you need help finding somewhere near you, I have a really big network of brain injury organizations and I'd love to help you find support. Awesome. Now, second of all, like you asked, I have a podcast called Declaration Life, and this podcast is about living with intention and purpose. And I interview women sharing their life stories, and in, in throughout March is Brain Injury Awareness Month. Every single interview was a brain injury survivor. So I have a lot of interviews with brain injury survivors on there, chronic illness survivors, and also just overcomers, people who've come from hard places in life and come out and have a a positive message to share. So if you're interested in a positive, uplifting type, you know, inspirational podcast, that's where I, that's where I gear towards. Um, We do special, I've been doing special uh, episodes on different things. I have one on brain health, which is about nutrition And the types of foods that can help you with your brain health and lifestyle for brain health. So that's available. I have a book called More to Me. It is a devotional. It's available on Amazon. It's called More to Me, Discovering Your Freedom Through Identity. It is a prayer journal devotional. So it has like Bible verses in there and journaling questions and uh, some of my personal experiences and encouragement and, you know, a devotional written that way. And then my music, of course, my music, yeah. So I all my CDs are available online. You can listen anywhere. I have music videos on YouTube. I've been trying to post more YouTube videos. Well, I have to check it out. And in all fairness,
0: I didn't go on, but I will look at them now and check (laughs) them
1: out. YouTube.com slash Chris And my new album just came out. You know, like we said, all my concerts have been canceled, but I am booking for the fall and for next year. I do speaking events and concerts. I often will sing at all my keynote anyway. So I'll usually bring my guitar and sing a couple of songs and integrate that in, but. I have a bunch of music videos coming out about the new album as well. So instead of concerts, I'm going to be putting out more videos. So you can keep on YouTube for that. But yeah, thank you. I think that's awesome.
0: (laughs) So any last words before I share what I've gained that you want to say to anybody that's listening um, that maybe, you know, has has dealt with something that has rocked their world and and what, you, you know, Absolutely. Makes them second guess, you know, hopefulness. What, what words of wisdom might be? Might yeah, you I
1: do at? have something I did want to mention real quick before that. Um, you can add me on social media too: Facebook, Christopher Braden, Instagram and stuff like that. I'd love to connect with you. Feel free to reach out and message. But when it comes to encouragement, Oh gosh, like I think the number one hardest thing when you go through something is acknowledging what you've been through. And you come to this fine line of acceptance where you realize like, I I need to accept this because this is what happened and this is my reality, but I also don't want to give up and I don't want to give up hope. And here's an encouragement I can have for you. Accepting what's happened does not mean that you give up hope Mm -hmm. for the future. You have to come to a place of acknowledging, yes, this has happened, but this does not define me. Yes, this might be my reality and this might be my struggles, but this is not who I am. This is just something that has happened in my life, something that's happened to me, something maybe that I've done or something that I've gone through, but it's not who I am. And learning how to make that distinction will really help you to rise above and to be an overcomer and to realize, you know what? Yes, this because you have to accept it, but you can only move forward once you come to that place of all right? Yes, but this doesn't define me. So moving forward, knowing it doesn't define you, owning your story, not being afraid of sharing it with others, whether it's just a close friend or whether you want to share it more publicly, both are valid and different people are called to different things. Not every person is called to go on the internet and talk about their story. And I don't think everybody should, unless you really want to. Right. So But, but, but even talking to a friend about it is really big. So yeah, just accepting it and realizing it's not who you are. You can rise above. There's always hope and have hope for, and never stop seeking answers. Like when it comes to especially a health condition or medical care, like leave no stone unturned, find new doctors, find new therapies, find new treatments, do what you can And connect with others and keep searching for answers because there is a better quality of life out there for you and keep working towards that.
0: Well, thank you so much. So, what, what have I learned or what has been reiterated today is the power of the brain, right? And, you know, as much as yours was a loss through adversity, came a gift, and, you know, and through your gift, You're educating the world on something that may have been left um, in the dark, right? So as much as your reality when you were playing that Red Robin, that game was uh, the day that shifted your life, um, through that has come a gift that you are sharing your voice, uh, sharing your words, and being an inspiration to, I'm sure, young women or just people that have been through... Um Pretty traumatic things and resilience uh, I think I will think of you as I think of the word resilience christabel um what an- what an amazing story and thank you so much with gifting um me with your time and for people that are listening so um so, please reach out uh, to Christabel and, and anyway um, if you're needing support. Um, so, thank you again for listening. It's Roxanne Durhage. You know, I'm a mental health and wellness specialist. If you're needing any support in that arena, you can reach me at Roxanderhage.com. Thanks again.